Welcome to The Power Curve. I'm Holly Scott. In our podcast, I have the opportunity to chat with industry executives accomplished at the C-suite regarding their career path and decisions they've made along the way with the idea of empowering you, our audience, as you navigate your own career trajectory. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Kylie Zagger, the CEO of Infinite Health. Kylie, how are you? Thank you, Holly. I'm wonderful, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kylie has an impressive record of transforming teams um, throughout the life science and med tech space in both small and large settings and inciting teams to their peak performance. So I think she has a lot of nuggets to share. Um, as I think about career, Kylie, I'm, I'm, I'm one who really firmly believes that it starts and, and our roots of career and career development start way before college, way before our first gig, um, going way back to childhood, really, and, and what career meant in your household. So would you kindly share a little bit about your upbringing and maybe what uh, fostered your foundation there? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up with two parents that were East Coast um, born and bred. So a little bit of the, you know, old world discipline culture. My dad was um, Arabic, my mother Irish and French, so very different sort of styles, um, both professionals, both had careers. Um, so watched disciplined work and hard work for most of my upbringing. Um, and then at 13, we had an unfortunate situation um, that we went through in, in my home with my mother's um, diagnosis, of, diagnosis of stage four ovarian cancer at the age of 40. And I was 13. So I watched, um, even at a young age, a, a very um, broken healthcare system and, and how difficult it was for us to navigate it. And my mother worked in healthcare, so we were essentially an insider. So, you know, it, it became a whole different world for us. And, and that's where my introduction to healthcare um, really came in. But it for my whole life, um, after the death of my mother and moving into college, it was, you know, waitressing through college. My family was very disjointed after my mother's death. And it was very much about, you know, you're going to make for your life what, um, what you need to, and it's going to be on you to do it. And I learned much of that by watching both of my parents growing up and learning the value of hard work, the value of a dollar. Um, and then my first job right out of college was with GE and the Global Leadership Development Program. That was really an interesting moment for me because, you know, growing up with New England parents and going through the, the tragedy that we went through and then having to get through college was all about building sort of that grit and character that I think was helpful. But then getting to have the opportunity to be part of that program under sort of Jack Welsh's umbrella um, and really anchoring into that kind of disciplined, I'll call it today, old world business style, um, you know, disciplined financial management, understanding operations. You know, I'm a black belt in Six Sigma um, and I didn't mind the hard work. And I think that really started by um, what I saw and, and frankly, what I went through in, in my household growing up. Wow. I, are you an only child? I'm not. I have a younger sister. Oh, my goodness. So as I think back at, at uh, 13, that's a lot to to take on and internalize. And it sounds like that foundation of stepping up and leaning in and taking charge must have been rooted very early with two, two strong parents in that regard. It was. I, I think, um, you know, my grandmother said it best when my mom was diagnosed and she said, well, 
those two girls have had boot camp for the first, you know, beginning years of their life, and and they've learned the good foundation and discipline. Um, not to say there's not a ton of mistakes that are made along the way, especially kind of navigating your your college years and then your whole adult life without parents, because mm-hmm. we, my father was gone shortly thereafter as well. So, you know, it was you made a lot of mistakes. And I think all of those failures and all of those um, learnings were also really important to kind of constructing up from the foundation of hard work. And, you know, you know what you need to do to build a life. You start bumping up against the frontier and having all of those failure points and Mm -hmm. wondering if you're really ever going to figure it out. And then it slowly comes together. So, you know, I I admire so many of the folks that um, have been self-made because I not to say I was, I had a lot of great mentors along the way that have, have shepherded me, but um, it takes a lot to be able to dive into the white space and, mm-hmm. and go out onto the frontier and not be afraid to fail and have an appetite for risk and the courage that it takes to do that. And this is a lot of corporate rhetoric sometimes that we all hear, but it's, um, I, I hope I can inspire some folks that might be listening that um, it doesn't have to be rhetoric and it's really not as scary as it might seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much that people are capable of when they believe they can do it. They have the courage to try and the bravery to say it, it might not work, but I'm going to take the swing and do everything I can do to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you were, you were given, and um, I, I look at these these tragedies in life, and, and, and I try and come back and think because, you know, we've all had these things along the way, right? And, and if you can internalize it and allow it to empower you and give you those, those scars that become the stronger foundation for, for future curveballs that we're all going to have, it can really be quite a blessing, you know? Um, I mean, nothing about, of course, what you went through was a blessing in that classic sense, but taking those powers, those superpowers that you get from it and understanding that, like you said, grit, tenacity, powering through and fear of failure, it's not just rhetoric. Those are real, those are real weapons that you can use <laughs> to protect yourself and to drive forward. And I, I, I really am impressed by you managing through that at a young age, you know, and, and managing through that and taking it on. And that's interesting though, Holly, I think we all have these moments in life where you wonder the experiences that you've gone through, what, what is it and what is it doing to build for the future? And, you know, so many people have asked me along the way, you can see a transformation. You can see how to pivot Mm -hmm. quickly and see the forest through the trees. Where did that come from? Was that the GE roots? And I said, no, it's, Mm-hmm. It's the survival story of my own life, right? Mm-hmm. I, I know at, at those rock bottom moments, how to take that, apply it and move businesses forward or teams forward or in the moments where the teams are demoralized or there's that forming and storming going on. We've seen this movie, right? We've all gone there and seen it. So the one thing that bothers me about where my life is right now is the fact that I'm not raising my kids in the way that I was raised, right? And, you know, the, I wonder where this grit and tenacity is going to come from because, you know, the helicopter mom and me is protecting them from everything that they possibly could feel or anything could happen to them. So, it, you know, I'm trying to take those lessons and apply it to my parenting style these days. Were you listening to my call with my son on the way in today? 
because I swear you're hitting all over that. I mean, it, it's it it is true. You know, I I I certainly didn't come from um, the easier upbringing that others have have had, and you know, I've tried to gift or do for them, mm-hmm. and my husband says, you know, they're not going to learn unless you push them, <laughs> unless you allow them to do this for themselves. But uh, look, it's it's we're all when it comes to parenting. We're all flying the plane as we build it, you know? I mean, there's no manual. There's no manual for sure. Wow. Well, you know, getting getting back to your your early decisions, economics, GE, you know, I, I, I'm curious what went into that. So were were you you were you were certainly um, driven and had had goals and 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 things aligned there. Did you have goals around college and what you intended to do and was was GE part of that plan or was that um, a circumstantial situation? I'm curious about the decisions around there because we, we work with so many people who are navigating career and, and uh, college decisions. And sometimes you just don't know what you want to do with your life, right? It, 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 yeah. So I'm curious what you did know versus not. I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. Um, I went to college. My mother was dying. I was you know, brought up in California. I went to UConn. Um, to play tennis. Um, and so I was kind of navigating the, you know, division one college athlete and what am I going to study? And um, I found myself even at that point being attracted to big complex situations. And I'll never forget, it was in the first year that I took my first economics class and they started going through the econometrics section and I was completely stumped. And it was this old grouchy professor that, you know, was miserable and everybody, you know, didn't like him. And I was so attracted to his grumpiness and his crass, you know, ways. And I was like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, he ended up being an amazing mentor for me and a, a friend. He, I think he was like 82 um, and pushed me in the moments where I didn't have parents pushing me um, and made me constantly break, right? Just mm-hmm. the, the problem statements, the complexities he would put in front of me. I just... Um, and then I had a political philosophy professor, the same sort of fashion. So um, I found myself really attracted to those types of things. You know, I, I took the general courses, psychology, this, and it just, I couldn't even get my head into it because to me it was um, nothing I could dig my teeth into. But so it wasn't anything more than professors that, you know, tended to be grumpy and mean. And, you know, I wanted to figure out how to how to get everything I could out of them and these complex subjects that um, I found gave me a lot of reflection around how life works, whether it was, you know, sophisticated economic models or political philosophy. I loved reading Plato and Socrates and learning about the Machiavelli. And I just loved getting kind of into those um, deeper thoughts and, and then navigated my way through. And, And then it was a situation where my first job out of school, um, GE was then housed in Connecticut. And I think from a PR perspective needed to offer one seat to a state school to UConn because I was the only one amongst all of the, you know, very fancy school kids. Um, They had one seat. It was part of the interview process. I got the job, you know, everyone around me, you know, I had a couple of different things to navigate through and they said, no, no, you need GE, you get that on your resume and you're going to be set for life. And I was like, okay, but then I have to move to different countries. And is this really what, and they were like, do it. So I did it. And, you know, it's amazing how life unfolds and how different people come into your path. 
and show you this might be a good decision because it's going to set you up for the future. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, I actually went back to GE later in my career and didn't love it as much because it wasn't under the Jack Welsh regime. And I, I found myself um, in the same sort of moments with those two professors where it was tough. Welsh was, you know, this very complex character and you needed to know your business better than anybody. And it was a great way to learn. And it really um, aligned with who I was and the kind of discipline that I enjoyed. That, that it definitely gives me a a, a much broader peek into your foundation. We've had so many, I'm fortunate to have had so many great conversations with you over the years. The, the, the interesting perspective though, in thinking of you as a student and understanding your draw to the macro and draw to the big challenges at hand. Mm -hmm. How many times have we talked about it? You never want the easy challenges, right? You want the big, no. the big, the big <laughs> transformation, the, the ones I where you could that. really pivot. And and I can I can I can see where that started percolating. Well, you had the unique foundation to tackle the big challenges. You know, that's you're using your superhero powers for good. So I love that. But I also recognize that um, microeconomics was never a thing that I could get into. So, you know, as I've gone through my career, I also really admire and respect and appreciate the people to the right and the left of me, because anyone who thinks about the world as I do needs those good anchors who can say, well, <laughs> you know, we might want to press pause or slow this down a little bit. So, um, you know, I've been very, very lucky to have those folks to my right and left through my career as well. Well, it's 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 more than luck. It's it's uh, the the universal attraction. It becomes this this balance, and it's the harmony, right? To actually, to to go after these lofty endeavors, you need those people, and you have to to pull e pull each other up and lift each other up to that level. So, yeah, that's 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 fascinating. I, I have to ask about about the Welsh days. So. That is something that not everyone was 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 fortunate enough to have, you know, really, really interesting experiences. Are there a couple lessons that you take with you, you know, on a regular basis that you've moved with you to, to your smaller endeavors, to your other organizations over the years that have rang true? Yeah, um, I'll never. So after every six month rotation, we had to present out and there were times where he would come into the room and he was this you know, small in stature person and very unassuming, but these sharp, sharp eyes. And I'll never forget some of the questions that he would ask that were so detailed and so in the weeds on only things I felt like our team would really understand and know. And, and I really never forgot that, that to be really good at what you're doing, you've got to be, you've got to understand everything at lower levels. And then that, that continued to come through in GE. So there was something that happened through one of the acquisitions that we were bringing in to the organization. And we couldn't figure out what was going on with a particular part of the business, but yet we were running all these models and we were doing all these Six Sigma projects. And of course we were sitting in our comfy little office doing all of this. And one of the leaders walked in and said, get to the Gemba. And we all kind of looked at each other like, What's the, where's the Gemba? Is that a new cafeteria? Um, had no idea, right? So we're feverishly trying to figure out what was he trying to tell us. And what he was telling us was get to the lowest point of work, get out and go watch and go study and go figure out what's going on. Because in these walls, you're not going to understand anything. And there's no model that's going to teach you what you need to know. Get to the lowest point of work, observe and watch, ask the questions, and you'll soon come to the answers. 
And that is a principle that I have taken with me for the past 22 years. I constantly do that time and time again, and it never, ever fails me. The, the other principle that I learned at GE, because we were moving so quickly and, you know, people think I move quickly now, it, your head would spin the way we moved in those organizations. I, um, I had one leader that once said, you've got to fill with oxygen. You have to take the time to fill with oxygen because if you don't, creativity and productivity go down. And it's, it, I didn't really understand it at a young age, but I very much understood it as I, as I worked through my career. So there are moments where you just have to shut down and you've got to reflect and you have to make sure that your mind is catching up with all of the activities and things are in balance and checking out appropriately. There's never a shortage of things to do, right? The list continues to compound every single day. But I do think the most um, powerful leaders are the ones that can have the ability to reflect, not be afraid to go dark, um, are not afraid to say, I'm going to step away. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to shut down because mm -hmm. it's the right thing to pull my mind back together. I, I think the days of people running 24-7, especially through COVID, mm -hmm. has really demonstrated this thin mentality and the inability for our culture to sit back and really reflect on what are we doing? How are we building? And how do we need to do this for the future in the right way? So the, the reflection component, the, the making sure you're taking in oxygen and the going to the Gemba, I think those were two things that um, really resonated with me. And then obviously Welsh taught everybody, you better know your business in and out because I'm going to come with those tough questions. And um, it's, we've become stewards of the business time and time, at least the teams I've been able to be part of. And I think that's what's helped us transform and build as successfully as we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I could see those principles being strong in business and personal relationships in many ways, in terms of really pulling that back and thinking about how to build around you. So fascinating. And on that same, same line, in terms of building teams, and in bringing in the talent around you and, um, and, and what's going to augment the goals at hand. You have an eye for this and you certainly have an intuition. We've talked about that and the ability to, you know, make decisions with limited information. But I'm curious if there are some practices when it comes to team building that you've found really tried and true assist you in making the right calls. That's really interesting. So I would say the one thing that I always have in the front of my mind is they have to be that much better and stronger than me. They have to be willing to challenge me, willing to fail, having the courage to, you know, be elastic and dynamic. Um, and I've actually had people say to me at times, you know, most people don't stack up a leadership team that could take them out of a job. And I'm like all day, every day, they have to be better, faster, stronger. And that's how we build. So I, I do think for me, there's, I have no fear in putting people around me that um, are better. I actually expect it. I think it's really important. Um, I want to be the person in the room that is harnessing a team of Mustangs with incredible amounts of intelligence. Um, I don't shy away from putting a group of people together that are all type A, all need the center stage. You know, I, that to me is where my job becomes the magic sauce maker of how do I get this row team 
to actually row together by having the gold medalists stacked into that boat um, without killing each other because it's going to be one or the other. They're either going to become this absolutely gorgeous team or they're going to kill each other. <laughs> and so I, I really enjoy taking that kind of level of risk of saying we're going to punch way above our weight class. We're going to bring the best and the brightest. And then my job is how do I bring this together and create this, um, to your point, this force multiplier by having the best and the brightest there. I don't see that happen a lot. Um, and in fact, I, I find my mentors sort of denounce it and say, um, very risky. You know, it's, you really have to be ready for this. And the storm of putting all of those folks together is quite incredible. Um, but I find when you can bring it through to the other side, which I've done a couple of times, it is, it's breathless. It's absolutely breathless to watch this team um, do what you knew it was capable of doing because one plus one now equals 12, right? Mm -hmm. and, it's, and you're watching that and it's just, um, so I love that. And I, I really um, find a lot of um, pleasure and um, fun and um, special moments in turning around and saying, wow, it, it worked, right? It really came together in that way. Yeah, beyond the success, you're seeing it. You're seeing it happen. I would imagine that starts with awareness, right, at the leadership level. That this is this is the the plan here. I'm hiring individuals who are all incredibly capable, and I'm going to ask you to perhaps take your ego and check it at the door, and let's make this thing overall better. You know, we have a, a phrase in our organization where it's it's logo team self. You know, putting the company first, putting the team second, and putting yourself last. And I would imagine, especially when you're high, you've got these high charged athletes right across the board, that it's got to start there. Is that is that the conver is that along the lines of conversation you have with your team as you build? So I, uh, you know, I I recognize that some of the folks that the ego is going to be impossible to get out of the mix because they're just so well accomplished and they've got a track record of 25 years that is just incredible. So my approach more with them is to talk a lot about the forming, storming, norming, performing, mm -hmm. because I fundamentally believe in the storm period, the team can go way off track. So what is everyone's part in bringing that storm to norm? And how do we do that collectively? Um, I really do. And I try to inspire them to break any ceilings that they have in their mind. So even with the big egos, there's always room to go up and be creative and take that license to do even bigger, better. So I never want anyone holding back or, or I want them even going further forward. Um, but I, I also think I, I try to bring some things forward, like five dysfunctions of a team. We're reading that book as a collective organization. So there is a complete awareness around what can happen when this goes wrong and what to sort of think about. And then we have a, a book that is right now, currently our team book, Boys in the Boat. It's all about a, a rowing team that you know, should never have won that did and all that it took to do that. And, and we embody that. And even this week, we've got the team coming in on Thursday and we're going out on eight man skulls with the row America coach. And we're going to learn how to become synchronous. So in those moments, I don't want anyone holding back. I want, you know, those stroke seats to learn how to row and row together and get the oar slapped in the face and have the boat capsize. And, but with the power that you bring, somehow we're going to learn to harmonize and move better, faster, stronger than everybody else and all the competitors. So I, I want them to come and swing big. It's just how do we do that and 
have all the other teammates swinging just as big. Excellent. Trends in life sciences and where the market's going. You came to Evolve for some really interesting reasons. And I, I must ask you to please share the excitement you have about the industry and about the organization. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I, I was introduced to the company um, by this is a probiotic that, you know, you we want you to kind of get to know. And, you know, I I love disruptive technologies. I love disrupting healthcare. And I thought this is really not something that's going to be for me. And I started to read the papers and get into the data. And I thought, this is not a probiotic. This is a modern penicillin, right? This is this could solve almost every complex situation. We've got data pointing in directions that, you know, I don't know that we know what we actually have. And it was fascinating to me. And I just couldn't let this die. I didn't want to let this die. I wanted to come in and figure out how do we move this to a pharmaceutical path? How do we get this up and out of a commoditized space? We are not solving for gut dysbiosis. We are solving for the most complex health challenges. And we're going to actually get in front of them to prevent them. Because if we can lock down an infant's immune system for life, it changes the trajectory of that baby and, and frankly, humankind. So, you know, I, I was so inspired by coming in and also a little bit daunted by <laughs> 180 degree pivot we were going to have to take. We're we're doing everything from changing the name of the company to the products, to moving from consumer products into the healthcare space, to changing the go-to-market. I mean, it is just a complete overhaul, but it's a pleasure of a lifetime to try to bring this to a good place and to think about the legacy that will be left for people and, and humankind in general. Um, but, you know, when you're thinking about this runway and this amazing team of Mustangs and all that we've got to get done in a very short period of time, there's not many minutes of the day that I'm left not thinking about the steps that need to happen and how we're going to continue to move down this road. But um, the microbiome is a very um, interesting area of healthcare I've never been part of. And um, I hope to see an inverse relationship between preventative medicine and what we can do to get in front of this versus the therapeutics. And, you know, it's something that going forward from here after Evolve, you know, I, I do hope that we can really bring this forward and really change the trajectory of the way that even healthcare thinks about things because prevention has to become first and foremost, and it has to start being reimbursed. We have to start to think about disease prevention versus treatment. I think I wholeheartedly agree. And I do see the, 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 the bubble in the market going that direction. So I'm optimistic and I'm on the path with you that it, because we all put patients first, right. And there's, there's certainly that benefit, but there's overall a, a, a significant cost model as well that supports preventative medicine. And now that we're starting to crystallize around it, I think we have a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Kylie, I am so thrilled that we had the time together today and I, you're such a pleasure. Um, looking forward to our next conversation and appreciate you being a guest today on the power curve. Thank you so much for having me. And it was, it's always wonderful being with you, Holly. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the power curve until next time. I'm Holly Scott.